and welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So on today's episode, we're going to be talking about, we're going to keep this horror train moving. On last week's episode, I was talking about Scream from 1996, how it was so influential to the horror genre at the time, how it reinvigorated the genre as a whole, um, had a whole lot of imitators come out after it, uh, and things of that nature. Well, today I'm going to be talking about uh, a horror movie from 1973 called The Wicker Man. Now, this movie is a British horror film that was released uh, back in these days, and it is one of my favorite horror films. Uh, I still think Carrie's my, my top favorite, but, you know, this is a movie where... It's not your typical type horror film, and I think that's why I enjoy it so much. For most of the movie, it's really kind of a police procedural, like, crime drama thing going on. It's a bit of a mystery as well, you know? Um, It's also, like, kind of a musical a little bit, too. So you might also get some musical interludes throughout this podcast that I'll, I'll put in. Yeah, it's just not your typical horror movie, but the last 10 or 15 minutes of this movie makes it a horror movie, and we'll get into that. But I really do think that this film is just um, such a great example of what horror as a genre can be. Uh, I think it has absolutely inspired other other people in the horror genre. And so as always, we'll go over some figures of the film. We'll go over some critical response quotes I found off Rotten Tomatoes. We'll go over the cast of characters, you know, who are our players in this movie. Then we'll go over some background about the film, how it came to be, talk about some of the casting, some of the filming, things like that, and then we'll move into a plot summary. So, let's get started with those figures. So, The Wicker Man was directed by Robin Hardy, written by Anthony Schaefer, produced by Peter Snell, and music by Paul Giovanni. We're looking at a release date in the UK of December 6, 1973, and a US release date of May 15, 1974. We're looking at a budget of about £500,000, which uh, in today's money would be about $2.9 million US. We're looking at a gross US and Canada box office of $60,891, and then a worldwide gross of $180,118 worldwide. We are looking at a Rotten Tomatoes score of 89% on the tomato meter and an 82% audience score. We're looking at an IMDb score of 7.5 out of 10 and a Letterboxd score of 3.9 out of 5. So I've pulled some log lines from some critical response quotes that I found on Rotten Tomatoes. So we have Luke Y. Thomas from New Times, who states on August 6, 2003, uh, way overrated and cheesy as hell. Decent premise, though. We then have Ken Hankey from the Mountain Express in Asheville, North Carolina, who states on November 20th, 2003, he states, I have never and will never understand this film's reputation. And then we have Wesley Lovell from Cinema Sight, who states on April 8th, 2019, he states, an exploitative mystery horror film in which Edward Wordward overacts his heart out. Characters in this film, we have Edward Wordward as Sergeant Neil Howey. We have Christopher Lee playing Lord Summer Isle. We have Britt Eklund as Willow McGregor. We have Annie Ross as the actual voice of Willow McGregor because Britt Eklund uh, is Swedish and she, I guess, did not speak very good English, so they had someone dub her voice. We also have Rachel Verney as Willow McGregor, the singing voice, because she sings throughout the movie. 
We have Diane Salento as Miss Rose, the school teacher. We have Ingrid Pitt as the librarian and registrar. We have Lindsay Kemp as Alder McGregor, who is the landlord and the father to Willow. We have Irene Sunter as Mae Morrison, who owns the post office and the little candy shop, uh, and who is Rowan Morris's mother. We have Walter Carr as a schoolmaster, who we see early in the film. And then we have Geraldine Cowper as Rowan Morrison, who is the young girl who's gone missing that Sergeant Howie has came to try to find. So, in the early 70s, Christopher Lee was a Hammer Horror regular, uh, in addition to Peter Cushing, um... Christopher Lee had played roles in a series of successful films. He was in The Curse of Frankenstein. He was also in a Dracula movie. Um, and he wanted to break free of this image, and he wanted to take on more interesting acting roles. And so the idea for The Wicker Man actually started in 1971 when Christopher Lee met with the screenwriter Anthony Schaefer. They agreed to work together, and they wanted to bring about this story. So then Peter, uh, Robin Hardy, uh, and British Lion had Peter Snell, who was the producer of this movie. They became involved in the project, and Schaefer had a series of conversations with Robin Hardy, and the two decided that it would be fun to make a horror film that was centering on old religion, uh, quote-unquote, in sharp contrast to like the Hammer films that they had both seen as horror film fans. So they wanted to do something that was a little different than Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing just cutting it up for Hammer horror. So Schaefer read the David Pinner novel Ritual, and this book is about a devout Christian police officer who is called to investigate what appears to be the ritualistic murder of a young girl in a rural village, and decided that it would serve well as the source material for this project that they were taking on. So Pinner originally wrote Ritual as a film treatment for a director named Michael Winner, who had John Hurt in mind as a potential star that he wanted to get. Winner eventually declined the project, so Pinner's agent actually persuaded him to write Ritual as a novel instead. So that's why we got a novel instead of a film treatment for Ritual. Um, Schaefer and Christopher Lee paid Pinner about 15,000 pounds for the rights to the novel, and then once they did that, Schaefer then set to work on the screenplay. He soon decided that a direct adaptation of the film would not work as well, and he then based uh, a new story only loosely based on the story of the novel. So Schaefer really wanted the film to be a little bit more literate, quote-unquote, than the average horror picture. He specifically wanted a film with minimal violence and gore. He was tired of seeing horror films that just relied on viscera to be scary. And the focus of the film was crystallized when he finally hit upon the abstract concept of sacrifice. So the image of the Wicker Man, which gives the film makers their title, uh, was taken from the description of the practices of human sacrifice by the Gauls in Julius Caesar's Commentaries on the Gaelic War. So, quote-unquote, others have figures of vast size, the limbs of which formed of osiers they fill with living men, which being set on fire... The men perish enveloped in the flames. So for Schaefer, that was the most alarming and imposing image that he'd ever thought of. So then that kind of gave him a good set to then make this about the Wicker Man. So the idea of the confrontation between a modern Christian and a remote pagan community 
uh, intrigued Schaefer and who then performed painstaking research on paganism and he brainstormed with Hardy. Um, they conceived the film as presenting the pagan elements objectively and accurately um, which was then accompanied by authentic music throughout and a believable contemporary setting which then was you know where they shot at. And one of their main resources was using something called the Golden Bough, and that was a study of mythology and religion that was written by a Scottish anthropologist named James Fraser. So in talking about some casting, we have television actor Edward Woodward, who was cast as Sergeant Neil Howie. After the part was declined by both Michael York and David Hemmings. So in Britain, Woodward was best known for his role in a show called Callan, which he played from 1976 to 1972. And after The Wicker Man, Woodward went on to get um, roles in 1980s Breaker Morant, and then also the 80s TV series The Equalizer. So that's what he went on to be known for. Of course, um, Christopher Lee was already known from the Hammer films, so you know he kind of got him uh, himself in that, um, and people knew him from that. After Schaefer saw um, Diane Salento on the stage, uh, he kind of lured her out of semi-retirement to play the schoolmistress. Uh, they actually lived together in Queensland from 1975, and they married in 1985, so that was kind of nice. <laughs> Ingrid Pitt, who's another veteran of British horror films, she worked with Christopher Lee in some of the Hammer horror films, um, was cast as the town librarian in the registrar. Uh, the Swedish actress Britt Eklund was cast as the innkeeper's uh, lascivious daughter, um, although two body doubles were used for her naked scenes because she is naked in the movie. Eklund actually found out she was three months pregnant uh, while she was two weeks into filming, um, so they had to, you know, uh, try to get somebody to uh, help with those nude scenes. Uh, so the film's choreographer, a gentleman by the name of Stuart Hops, uh, called in a person by the name of Lorraine Peters, who was a nightclub dancer from Glasgow who gyrated at the doorway and against the wall of the bedroom um, in these nude wall scenes, which we'll talk about more in the plot summary. And as I stated, her speaking and singing voices were respectively dubbed by Annie Ross, who um, had gone and done some horror movies and other movies as well, apparently also dated Lenny Bruce back in the day, and Rachel Verney, respectively, who was the singing voice of all of Willow's songs the filming of this movie so this film was actually produced at a time of crisis in the british film industry so the studio in charge of the production which was british lion films was in trouble financially and was bought by a wealthy businessman by the name of john bentley so to convince the unions that he was um, not about to asset strip the company, Bentley needed to get a film into production right away. This meant that The Wicker Man, which was actually set in spring, actually began filming in October of 1972. So because of this, like, artificial leaves and blossoms had to be, like, glued onto the trees in many scenes. Uh, you know, the production itself was kept on a very small budget for the time. Um, Christopher Lee was keen to get this film made, and even he and other people worked on the production without pay. Um, and so while this filming was taking place, British Lion was actually bought by EMI Films. This film was mostly shot around small Scottish towns. Um, I won't even attempt to say them because I don't want to mess them up too bad. Um, but then also some scenes were filmed in, around, in and around the Isle of Whithorn, which the owners of the castle, a uh, person by the name of Elizabeth McAdam McLaughlin, 
and David Wheatley, plus several other local people uh, featured in various scenes. So there's this big castle that they have, um, which is called Colzine Castle in Ayrshire, and its grounds, and then Floor's Castle were also used in the shooting, because you do see um, some of these castle um, structures uh, throughout Summer Isle. Some of the opening flying shots, because um, Sergeant Howie flies into the... um, to Summer Isle from the mainland. Uh, some of those feature the Isle of Sky, which includes the pinnacles from the store and the Kirong. Uh, some of the cave scenes near the end where it's filmed inside Wookiee Hole in Somerset. Um, and actually, the amphibious air- aircraft uh, that carries Sergeant Howie you know, to Summer Isle was a Thurston Teal, and it was owned and operated in um, the aerial sequences by a gentleman by the name of Christopher Murphy. And the climax of this film, which is kind of unfortunately a spoiler of the film, uh, was actually shot at the cliff tops at Burrowhead. And according to Brick Etland, um, some of these animals perished in The Wicker Man, but actually Robin Hardy has said in an interview that it was uh, great care was taken to ensure that none of the animals were in danger of being hurt during the scene and that none of them were actually inside The Wicker Man when it was actually set on fire. Oops, spoiler alert, sorry, but that's what this says. So now that we've gone through some of the, you know, background casting, filming of this movie, let's move into a plot summary. I also just wanted to give a little disclaimer about film versions of The Wicker Man. So the uh, film version that I watched and I will be covering today is actually the final cut of The Wicker Man, which was approved by Robin Hardy and was released back in 2013, I believe, on Blu-ray and everything. But just note that... Uh, if you are streaming The Wicker Man on Amazon or you know anywhere where it's maybe streaming at, uh, more than likely you're going to be watching the theatrical cut, which is going to differ a little bit than how I'm going to be explaining it in the plot summary right now. Um, so just be aware of that. If you did want to get the final cut of The Wicker Man, totally do it. It's on Blu-ray. You could probably find it somewhere. Um, but just know that what I'm going to be talking about in the plot summary is going to differ from if you watch it on um, Amazon or something like that. All right, let's move into that plot summary. Start our film with seeing this like weird little sun god guy, like this little face, and we just see him like zoom in. And then we see a title card that says Sunday, the 29th of April, 1973, which is just setting us into where we're starting the film at. We see that Howie is in church. Uh, Howie's played by Edward Woodward. And we see that he is next to a lady who we are assuming that is his girlfriend, fiance. I believe it's actually his fiance. And they are at church singing hymns. So they're at church singing along with the hymn of the you know Sunday congregation. And then you see Howie delivering speech, uh, a speech to the congregation um, about, you know, taking in uh, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ and all of that. Um, I will also say right now I am not the most religious of people, um, so I'm not as familiar with Christianity or, you know, Catholicism or any of this kind of stuff. So um, my understanding is only going to be very limited, (laughs) but pretty much Howie is delivering a speech at the congregation. So this is supposed to set up that he is a devout man of faith. And then we see that Howie is in his little um, seaplane and we see that um, he is flying the plane and we have the title song coming in. And then we also go into another song um, called Corn Rigs while he is flying over to this British Isle called Summer Isle. And I'll insert some clips of some of these uh, songs because I think they're total bangers. (laughs) 
Then we see how he lands the plane and he megaphones uh, to these men on shore to have him um, get a dinghy sent out to him so he can come on shore. And the men say, there's a man that just says, hey, you can't land your plane without per uh, written permission. And he's all like, hey, I'm like a police officer. Like, you know, send me a dinghy. I'm looking for somebody. So then, you know, they get a boat out to him and uh, the Howie meets the men on shore. So it's just these random assortment of men who are here. And he shows them a photo of a girl named Rowan Morrison. And Rowan Morrison is apparently missing. Um, he's received a letter from somebody. Uh, it was an anonymous letter stating that Rowan Morrison has been gone. He kind of passes his photo around. He reads from the letter and everything. So apparently none of these men on the shore see to know who Rowan is. Uh, they don't know anything about her. Um, and I think they end up saying, like, you know, hey, uh, somebody named Mae Morrison is apparently her mother. So, you know, do you know Mae? Oh, yeah, Mae. She keeps the post office up this place. So maybe go up there. So you see Howie, once he's done with these men, they're walking through the town. Um, and residents are just looking at him. They're just like, who the hell? This like police officers here. Uh, they haven't really seen anybody looking like this. It doesn't seem like they have a police force. So they're just kind of wondering about who this person is. And then you just hear some music behind. Howie then ends up at Mae Morrison's, because uh, there's literally a big sign that says Mae Morrison's. Uh, it seems apparently this is the post office, and then also it's like a candy shop, too. Uh, like a sweets shop, if you will. And he meets Mae Morrison. Uh, Mae Morrison is played by Irene Sunter. And so pretty much um, he introduces herself, himself to her and is like, hey, I'm looking for uh, this person, Rowan. This is apparently your daughter. But she, uh, May, is saying that, oh, no, her daughter's not missing. Her daughter is apparently Myrtle. And Myrtle is just like in the back um, painting some uh pictures you know and so may then introduces howie to myrtle and you know saying like oh you know i gotta take care of some business why don't you just sit with myrtle and so then you know uh howie is sitting with myrtle and myrtle's painting this picture of a hair and um you know sergeant howie is you know kind of pacifying her in a way and just being like you know talking to her and you know just saying like uh, do you happen to know who rowan is and She's like, of course I know, silly. You know, and then she talks about how Rowan is pretty much a hare, is like a, a rabbit, um, and is not really signifying that she is anything more than just that. We see that Howie ends up at a place called the Green Man Inn, and so he goes into the inn where all these people are drinking. It's like a pub pretty much as well. Um, he asks for a room uh, from the landlord, uh, who is Mr. McGregor. Um, and then a song is starting to be sung called The Landlord's Daughter, which I will insert some um, of that right now. And when our name is mentioned, the pants of every 
big gentleman do stand up at attention. <laughs> And so pretty much this song about Landlord's Daughter is talking about how Willow, who we meet, uh, played by Rit Eklund, uh, is like a good lay in bed, pretty much, um, I guess, or that she's really hot and that, you know, um, yeah, who could uh, who could resist Landlord's Daughter kind of a thing. Um, so then Howie is offered a drink, but he does decline it uh, for right now. Um, he does have beer with dinner, though, so he's not completely... Um, you know, averse to alcohol necessarily, um, but we'll find out more about what he might be averse to. Uh, and so he announces to the whole bar that he is looking for Rowan Morrison and shows the picture to the bar, but really nobody has seen her at all. So then Howie notices that the Harvest Festival photos that are in the bar, it's pretty much like a girl standing on like a barrel or like a wagon or something. And it's like uh, normally a bunch of fruit around her. Uh, and he notices the last years is not there. And somebody just comments that like, oh, yeah, it got broke. So, you know, it's not up there right now. Uh, Howie does get some dinner. He gets like some potatoes and beans and things, but he attempts to eat it, but he hates the food. It's disgusting and gross. Um, and this is where he's talking to Willow a little bit and, you know, talking about how like, oh, you know, for after dinner, I'll take an apple. And, you know, she's all like, we don't have apples right now. And be like, oh, well, I guess, you know, you could get peaches and cream if you want. Oh, I bet it's from a can. And so Howie's kind of talking about how all the stuff's from a can. There's nothing fresh here. There's nothing whatever. So that kind of goes back into, like, you know, the harvest and, and all of that kind of stuff for this island, which will then kind of play back in the rest of the movie. You hear Willow say something about, cheer up, food isn't everything in life, you know. Then Howie goes outside um, into a field and he's seeing uh, people having sex out in the open. This is all shot um, in, you know, kind of like uh, slow-mo. Uh, so he's seeing that and that is like totally not up his alley because he is not about all that. And he then sees people at night uh, watering graves for some reason. Don't really know why. And then he also sees a naked lady who's just like sobbing on a grave in particular. He then goes back into the inn with all the people and he goes up to his room that he's got because he's trying to get away from all the naked people um, and, you know, all this, like, debauchery he's seeing. And then we, uh, so this is actually a song that was cut from the film, um, and it's called Gently Johnny, and I'll insert um, a clip of that in here. I put my hand on her thigh And she says, you want to try I put my hand on her belly And she says Do you want to fill me gently, 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 Johnny Gently, Johnny, my dear This Gently Johnny song, you see that, um 
uh, Christopher Lee is coming over Lord Summer Isle, we find out. Um, he is coming with this young man who's like 13 or 14 years old. He's coming and bringing this uh, boy, this uh, young man, over to the inn um, to pretty much... Uh, have some time with Willow. So this scene is to kind of show, and this whole song is to kind of show, uh, that I guess Willow is the village's, um, I don't know what you would call it. Sex worker, if you will. Um, she seems to be the one that takes all of the, um, young men and, uh, deflowers them, if you will. Uh, which is kind of interesting because then I kind of wonder, I'm like, Okay, but, like, what happens with, like, the women then? Do things happen to them, too? Or is it just the young men? Like, I always kind of wonder that a little bit. But, you know. But that's what we see with Gently Johnny. Um, and then Christopher Lee is talking about, like, living like an animal. You see some, like, weird snail sex, like, going on, I think. And uh, then Howie is praying before bed. So you see him on his knees, you know, with his hands clasped and he's like praying for bed. And then in the background, you're hearing uh, Willow pretty much just moaning from sex. Um, so you're to assume that she is having sex with this young man. Um, and that's like part of her job. That's why they were singing earlier about the landlord's daughter and all that stuff. So, and now it's the next day. And we see that um, Sergeant Howie has now ventured outside. We see Willow out there is um, wiping a table for some reason. See that Howie's asking where the school is. So he's walking over to the school. And then we see this um, this uh, scene of the Maypole song and dance going on. Uh, so we see the schoolmaster played by Walter Carr. And we see all these young men around the Maypole. And they're all singing uh, and kind of dancing around it. And I'll insert a clip of that in here so you can hear that. And on that bed there was a girl, and on that hill there was a man, and from that man there was a seed, and from that seed there was a boy, and from that boy there was a man, and from that man there was a grave, and from that grave there grew a tree. So we have that fun little Maypole song teaching, you know, people about the birds and the bees and all that, apparently. And Howie comes in and he's interrupting this class. The schoolmaster uh, for this class is um, Miss Rose, played by Diane Salento. And so he comes in and interrupts the class. He is stating um, that he is to report this degradatious behavior um, he's been seeing to the proper authorities. Um, even though he has no jurisdiction to this island, it's private property, and, like, this is a private school, like, you know, he thinks that this is all horrible, that they're teaching about the phallic symbol and, like, all this stuff, um... And so Howie then goes over to the board where he writes Rowan's name on it and he passes the photo around to the schoolgirls all here. There's all but one desk uh, filled in this room. Um, so you're like, what the hell's going on? And so then you see that uh, Howie just kind of goes into one of the desks and he sees this little beetle that's like on a string and it's like um, pretty much like walking around this nail or whatever. And then it like goes and walks not around the nail. And it's just kind of like in this weird cycle or whatever. And I guess one of the girls is like um, setting this up so that it just kind of does it. And, he, and Howie's just like, well, why do it then? Like, what the hell? Howie demands for the school registrar um, and... 
asks to see it, and then he finds Rowan Morrison's name in here. So up to this point, everyone doesn't seem to know who Rowan is, but her name is in the motherfucking school register. So it's like, well, what are we doing here? And so he calls the girls liars. He threatens Miss Rose. You're the biggest liar of all. And so then, you know, Miss Rose is like, hey, girls, like, do your do your readings. I'll be back in just a minute. And so Miss Rose then explains to Howie how they teach children about death, how they don't use the word death, um, and talking about, you know, how um, children are more, you know, willing to take on re- uh, reincarnation than resurrection. You know, these rotting bodies uh, don't exactly, aren't exactly the most favorable, you know, um, for for that kind of thing. And so he's like, Okay, I guess, but like, do these kids not know about Jesus? You know, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, she's able to talk to him about that and, you know, kind of get him on his way um, to kind of stop poking his nose around. And then Howie goes into a little graveyard and he finds like this weird headstone um, going on. And he then sees a woman with an egg in her hand, breastfeeding her baby for some reason. Um, he then also finds some apple crates and he throws them on the ground. And from the uh, wood of the apple crates, I think he then makes like a little makeshift cross. Because uh, he's wondering now, he's like, where the hell is the church? Like, where is this thing? And because he's a devout man, like, you know, but these folks are not exactly Christians. They're pagans. So they don't have these churches like that. They don't worship God, you know, in the same way as a Christian would. Uh, then how he meets the gravekeeper, whatever you want to call him. Um, and he sees Rowan Morrison's grave, um, which, you know, because there was a Rowan tree there, it was planted. So of course that's the, um, that's the grave of Rowan Morrison. And apparently there's like on the Rowan tree, there's like a navel string from from them, just like um, on the tree, which is kind of weird. And we see that May Morrison has put a frog in the mouth of a little girl um, that she's treating to kind of help cure a sore throat that the little girl has. And May Morrison gives like a little sweet to the girl, you know, for that. And um, Howie pretty much says like uh, everyone in the island is mad and May is crazy and like all these people. Um, so then Howie then goes to the public records, uh, the registrar, um, played by Ingrid Pitt, and he gets the index of death from the librarian, uh, or this registrar lady, I guess, um, to kind of see about this, but he sees no death, um, record for Roman Morrison, so there's no death certificate, I guess, um, so there's nobody confirming that Roman Morrison actually died, technically, um, so he's like, this shit's not adding up. So then um, they show the registrar the photo of Rowan. She claims that um, that is Rowan, but that she doesn't know anything about her. Which, again, this whole movie is just kind of, like, off-kilter. Like, nobody seems to know anything about Rowan when when asked about him, about her, you know? So it's just kind of leaving uh, Howie to be like, what the hell is going on here? I'm so confused. So then Howie takes a horse and buggy, and he goes through some trees. He's going through the picturesque fields um, of Summer Isle, and he sees some naked ladies jumping over a fire, and they're singing a little song. Um, I'll insert some of that um, song into here. Take the flames inside you, burn them down below. Fire season, fire season, make the baby grow. 
So then after he sees those naked ladies jumping over the fire, um, he comes to Lord Summerisle's house. And pretty much what happens is he goes into Lord Summerisle's house. He meets him, played by Christopher Lee. Lord Summerisle is talking about, um, you know, that they're a deeply religious people. Uh, They're taking note of the women, you know, jumping outside um, over the fire. I think uh, Lord Summerisle says something about, like, well, it'd be much too dangerous for them to jump over the fire with their clothes on. Um, and so Howie just doesn't seem to understand this religion. He judges their beliefs. Hella judges their beliefs. Um, and he's just like, "Is it, why don't these people know about Jesus or God or any of this kind of stuff? You know, again, this is where we kind of get the idea that Howie is not exactly um, the most open of people when it comes to belief. And he's just like, no, this is the one true God. So, like whatever anybody else thinks, especially you all pagan people, like, no, this this is not the right way to believe. So then Lord Summer Isle is explaining the history of Summer Isle and how his grandfather changed up the island, um, how apparently, you know, his grandfather could grow fruit on the island, and that kind of started up, like, how, um, you know, yeah, like, they're was fruitful harvests and all. Um, Lord Summerisle was just raised to do what his father did because his grandfather did the same thing. Um, so he's just kind of keeping Summerisle going and keeping it up. And, you know, um, there were some real good harvests that would come from this, you know, land and soil and everything. And pretty much the reason how he has come to Lord Summerisle is he's to try to get permission to exhume the body of Rowan Morrison. So he, you know, gets it pretty quickly. He's just like, yep, you can go and, like, exhume her body. That's totally fine. So then Howie's like, all right, I gotta get out of here. So he then goes back to the graveyard with the gravekeeper, uh, exhumes the body of Rowan Morrison, and he, you know, sees that it's just the body of a dead hare. So you're like, what in the hell? So he then brings the dead rabbit to Lord Summerisle's house uh, in the middle of the night while he and Miss Rose are just singing, which I thought was really nice. Um, And so they're just kind of singing and he's playing the piano and like uh, Miss Rose is just like singing with her wine or whatever. How he explains uh, what he's been trying to do to find out about Rowan. Um, He's just like, I found this in Rowan Morrison's grave. He believes that Rowan has been murdered by pagans. He said he's going to report all of this. Um, to the mainland police. Uh, Christopher Lee, I think, Lord Summerisle says something about Mayday being tomorrow. So, like, you know, if you want to leave now, you might want to do that because Mayday is going to be tomorrow and you're really not going to want to stick around. So then you see after, you know, um, Christopher Lee and uh, good old Miss Rose, like, they're continuing to kind of sing and, you know, mind their own business. You then see Howie uh, break into Lord... uh, He breaks into the Photoshop at night, he was just there because he went to the photographer to go ask about um, the photo, uh, you know, at the Harvest Festival, you know, it was broken, but do you keep copies of it? And he's like, no, I don't. So he breaks into this Photoshop and he finds some different photos. So he's just like, okay, what the heck are these? But he develops the Harvest Festival photo from the previous year, and he finds out that Rowan was actually the May Queen. Um, so he was like the, you know, he's seeing this and 
he sees that apparently the crops failed um, at this particular harvest festival and that it kind of then clicks something in his brain to make him think that somehow she's in danger. And so that kind of sets about the next bit of the story. So then you see Howie, he is back. It's like a flashback to the church. Um, he's doing uh, a cracker and wine routine at the Christian church. I think we kind of saw a little bit of this earlier um, as well. And he's like giving the speech to his um, congregation. Um, we then see, honestly, the most iconic song in the world. It's called Willow Song. Um, and Willow is pretty much naked as hell. And she's dancing around her room. Okay. And uh, I'm going to insert a clip of that now. A stroke as gentle as a Wasn't that so great? So, like, um, Howie's in bed as he's listening to this song, and uh, Willow's pretty much singing to him to try to seduce him to come fuck her, pretty much. And uh, that's literally what it is, but it's such a banger, and it's so good. Um, And so then, uh, when he actually goes to sleep, you know, Willow then comes in the next morning and gives breakfast to Howie, and Howie talks about how he's engaged to be married. And that he does not believe in premarital sex. So, you know, this whole scene is really kind of showing that, like... Because even um, Willow says, like, I invited you. You know, I thought you'd come around. And he's just saying, like, you know, well, I'm engaged to be married. Be like, well, does, you know, does that stop you? And then he's pretty much saying, like, I don't believe in premarital sex. Like, I just... I don't believe in it before marriage. So you see some creepy-ass kids, they're walking in a line, they're singing, We Carry Death Out of the Village, and the line leader girl is, like, holding up this weird-looking baby doll that's, like, plastic, it's not plastic, it's, like, glass or something, or porcelain, it's really weird. Anyway, so then Howie does his research about May Day festivals, and so what he finds out um, when he's going to the library to go research is that when a harvest goes bad... A human sacrifice is offered um, by burning up the sacrifice, pretty much. So this is what he's looking into and finding out about. Um, and then you see, and he's finding out more about, like, you know, there's, like, uh, you have this, like, man-horse, um, like, costume that this person wears for the Mayday. You then have the man-woman, which is, like, the leader of it, you know, uh, with the procession, like, leading the procession down. And then you have Punch, who is, like, a, uh, character, is a Commedia dell'arte character, actually. And, um, that's, like, the town fool or whatever. The villagers then, in animal masks, like, look at Howie going over to his plane, because he's supposed to be leaving to go to, like, back to the mainland. And he tries to get back to his little plane, but his plane doesn't work. And then, like I said, the there were these, like, weird villagers with, like, these animal masks looking at him, but he doesn't see them. 
so then he's like, well, what the hell? My my plane doesn't work now, and what am I supposed to do? So then he gets back on the island, and he's following this costumed horse dragon man through the town. So it's, like, this guy who's, like, wearing this, like, um, kind of, like, uh, yeah, it's, like, this weird costume. He's, like, you know, following him through town, and then he leads him over to this place where the villagers are convening with Lord Summer Isle before May Day, because pretty much it's like almost the day of May Day, I think, actually. And they're all preparing um, for this celebration later today. And so Lord Summer Isle states that a sacrifice will be given to the gods on May Day, because he, he says, like, you know, how the crops failed before. And so because of this, a sacrifice has to be given. So this kind of puts some ideas into... Um, Howie's head. So then Howie goes and tells Mae Morrison that Rowan is not dead. So, like, you know, what's going on here? So, you know, he's thinking, like, okay, Rowan is not dead. Like, she's going to get sacrificed. Like, this is now the idea that he has in his head. So he's now going through um, a bunch of these houses looking for Rowan. I think he comes across these uh, kids in a window. He says, take those masks off. And he's just, like, so over this pagan stuff, but, like, he's just, like, so trying to, like, find out what's going on. So he, like, um, happens across the naked lady in the tub, who was actually the the registrar lady, the um, Ingrid Pitt. That was her. She also happens, he also happens across a child in one of the houses who falls out of a wardrobe, and then she's just, like, kidding around or whatever, and she just, like, goes and, like, you know prances off then you see him go out to a ship on the water to explore um there's some like apple crates out there which is kind of interesting then he goes to the baker and trying to find out about that he's going to the meat uh butcher monger guy um he's going to a funeral like little home where there's like caskets and shit um and he ends up finding a body i don't know if it's of a priest or who knows i don't know who exactly it is but he has uh, no hand he has his hand was cut off and then he has coins over his eyes so that was kind of weird um how he then goes back to the green man Inn. he gets some whiskey he asks for some whiskey from the landlord since he's also the bartender i guess so then he's going up to his room he doesn't really want to be disturbed especially since it's May Day. he's not trying to kind of get all up into their bullshit uh that he thinks it is Willow and her dad are talking while the door's open uh, to Howie's room. They're talking about this hand of glory and Howie's kind of overhearing this conversation. You know, you have this scene. Mr. McGregor uh, is changing into his punch outfit pretty much because then what happens is he uh, how he overhears this conversation and then he wakes up and he sees this like hand with like the tips of the fingers on fire like candles and he just like knocks it over he's like what the hell is this so then he uh like i said uh, mr mcgregor is changing into his punch outfit uh how he then hits him he ties him up to his bed like um on like the like not on on the bed but like um you know, just like to the frame of the bat or something. And he steals the punch outfit that uh, Mr. McGregor was going to wear. And the procession starts marching down to this Stonehenge formation, kind of, sort of. Um, so you have Christopher Lee there. He's in, like, this wig. His wig is laid, of course. Um, this long black hair wig. And he's wearing this, like, yellow um, shirt and 
so it's him. Then you got that like weird like horse, half man, half horse thing. And then you got Punch, who Howie's in the Punch costume, but nobody knows because he has a little mask on. So he's just like kind of going around. Um, and he's kind of like, you know, nipping at the girls here and there, you know, as they're supposed to. Um, and then they get to this little Stonehenge formation. And then there's this like beheading tradition. So there's like these swords that like all like they get um, into like they're put into a certain shape. And then everybody has to go through and like do the beheading tradition where pretty much like and they all start saying chop, chop, chop chop and it's like somebody's head's gonna apparently get chopped off but then nobody actually gets their head chopped off so even it goes to the one person and it looks like they behead this person but they actually don't it's just this girl named holly and nobody actually ever got beheaded but the normal tradition was that this could happen and you know as part of that um that's what normally would have happened and then from there, the villagers, including Lord Summer Isle and all that, um, they just frolic down to this beach. So Lord Summer Isle and all these uh, villagers are walking along this rocky beach. Lord Summer Isle chops into this barrel of ale and it like gives it to the sea um, as part of this. Rowan is finally presented as this quote-unquote sacrifice. And Howie then goes up and attempts to save Rowan. So, like, Rowan calls him Mr. Police, I think. And, like, they're running through these caves, right? So then you have Rowan and Howie. They're running through the caves. You know, they're running through the caves. These villagers with torches are, like, following them through the caves to try to find Rowan and Howie, right? And so they finally come up... Um, They've gone enough down this kind of, like, cave or whatever, but they come up on this one part that, like, is an over... It's like a bluff overlooking um, the water or whatever. But then when we get to that, we see that Lord Summer Isle, Miss Rose, Willow, and May Morrison are all there, right? And Rowan is like, did I do it right? And, you know, May's just like, oh, you did it perfectly, sweetie. And so then this is where... I believe, at least, this film now turns into a horror movie because their whole plan is now exposed. I think Lord Samarel even says the game is over. So the crops did actually fail. So that was a real thing that happened. Rowan Morrison it was not the sacrifice at all. Um, in fact, like animals are all right to sacrifice, even a kid maybe, you know, depending on the circumstance. But the right kind of adult is actually the best type of sacrifice. So this would be somebody who comes of their own free will. They have the power of a king. They're a virgin. They came as a fool. These are all things that they're talking about. This is when it's revealed Howie has been the sacrifice target this whole time. That's what freaks me out about this film. Because everybody who he ever interacted with in this film, knew what was going to happen to him from the moment he got to the island. Everyone knew it was going to happen to him, but nobody was going to tell him. Because they all believe the same way. They all believe the same thing. And they all believe that having this kind of sacrifice will, in fact, help their crops not fail again. So that's what really skeeves me out and scares me about this film. So then Howie has his words with the villagers and is trying to say, like, you know, listen, like, burning me up is not going to help your crops, you know? 
He's then prepped for his sacrifice. He's put into this white shirt. I definitely could kind of clock some biblical undertext, you know, some subtext there. I think Howie is talking about, like, I believe in the life eternal as promised by our Lord Jesus Christ. So, you know, he's even in this kind of Jesus-y looking garb. Christopher Lee then says, it's time to keep your appointment with the wicker man. So, yeah, you know, how he's trying to tell these people you know, that these pagan gods aren't real. And these crops failed because the strains failed. Because of the environment. Like, this place is not supposed to be somewhere where you get fruits and all this stuff. Like, it's not supposed to. So that's probably why it failed. So, like, sacrificing me, sacrificing him, will not bring back the crops. So then, of course, you know, Lord Summer Isle... And I think even, like, how he says, like, you know, if you kill me, you're going to have to kill Lord Summer Isle, you know, if, if this doesn't end up working. And Summer Isle, you know, he uh, doubles down and he says that the crops will succeed with the sacrifice. You won't have to have that happen again. And this is when uh, how he then says, think what you're doing. Think in the name of God. Think what you're doing. Think. And it's just, like, really freaky because I think a big part of this film is, you know, showing that, like, Howie, when he comes, is just so kind of condescending and a bit of an elitist of his religion, you know? He he kind of believes that he has the, uh, the right belief uh, and, you know these pagans are just something else, you know, that they're not believing the right way, you know? And what I think is really crazy or creepy about this movie is that there's nothing scarier than human belief itself. Um, and the fact that there are cults out there in this world, um, the fact that, you know, we've seen it in plenty of different examples, you know, Jonestown and, and like, the, you know, Manson family and, like, all these different places, um, even when it didn't have to do with that and murder and all, but it, even with, you know, other kind of cults as well, seeing that, it's just so freaky to think that, like, you know, what's scary is human belief and the fact that this is, you know, a real thing. How he's being led to the Wicker Man, and when he finally sees the Wicker Man, all he says is just, Oh God! Oh Jesus Christ! Oh my God. And so he's freaking out about being sacrificed. And so then Howie is just put into this wicker man, bunches of sacri- uh, bunches of animals that are about to be sacrificed. So you got like a lamb and pig and stuff like that. And then Lord Summer Isle, when he gets, you know, Howie into the wicker man, he announces to the gods um, about, you know, that they're giving the sacrifice to these particular gods or whatever. And how he is yelling at the villagers from the Wicker Man. He's just yelling about, you know, all of this stuff. Um, and then the villagers burn the Wicker Man up. And then they start singing this song while the Wicker Man is burning up, which I'll insert here. Once they're singing that song, you see that Howie is singing out a psalm um, while being burned up in the Wicker Man. And he honestly is pretty much accepting his fate at that point. You know, he's just accepting the fact that he's going to die. And he's praying to God. He then yells out to Daniel, 
which I think is a biblical reference. He's just accepting his fate. And then the Wicker Man, while the villagers are singing, burns down and falls. And then you have this beautiful sunset and then the ending credits. So I'll also make sure to insert um, what um, Howie is, is singing, pretty much. And then that's the end of The Wicker Man. So, with this movie, when I watched it for the first time, I don't even remember when I watched it for the first time. Uh, probably, I can't even remember. But, like, when I saw this for the first time, it unnerved me. <laughs> it's just so freaky. I think the fact that this movie has a very stark ending, which in the 70s was pretty much like, uh, it was kind of common in a way that there would have these, there was no like happy ending to uh, some of these movies, you know, but just the fact that this guy comes to this island, he's he gets an anonymous letter to come. Now that we know the end of the film, the fact that everybody he's interacted with knew exactly what was going to happen to him, but nobody was going to tell him about it. Because they all believe the same thing. And they all believe that this is good for their crops and the harvest. And he doesn't realize until the last 10, 15 minutes of the movie. It's just really creepy to me. And really freaky. And then just the fact that, you know, he is a man of faith, too. You know, he is a devout Christian. And so because he's a devout Christian, you know, he himself believes that he's going to you know, gain eternal salvation and he'll, you know, go to heaven and all that stuff. And as somebody myself who isn't much of a religious person at all, I, I'm really more of an atheist, I guess. Um, you know, the fact that really, to me at least, he's praying to nobody and he is, he's screwed from that point, you know? And so that freaks me out that much more. And then the fact that he just like gets burned up. That's that's what's so f scary. There was actually a, an alternate ending um, where uh, I believe uh, how he it does save himself and he's able to get out. But Robin Hardy didn't want to do that ending um, because it's unrealistic. You know, it was unrealistic, and so he didn't he didn't want that. And I'm I'm glad they didn't go with that other ending because I think this ending makes uh, a lot more sense, and I think it's just that much scarier. Because as I stated just a little bit ago, honestly, there's something really scary about just human belief as a whole, you know, and religious extremism and, you know, uh, I don't know if it's a word, but zealotism, you know, and, and um, the fact that, you know, people will sometimes kill to appease their gods and religion and all of this kind of stuff. It's just so crazy crazy to me and creepy kind of and and you know that unsettles me more than freddy krueger or jason or whatever you know what i mean like uh even though obviously um you know this story is a fictionalized story of course uh it doesn't make it any less freaky i, I also s believe that you know a movie like midsummer is a love letter to this kind of film uh, because of the cult within it. Even a movie like Apostle that came out, it was on Netflix. 
you know, that also has like a, a kind of similar story a little bit. But I, I do think that this is a, a penultimate, it's a very shining example of um, a cult horror film uh, that literally talks about a cult, you know, um, and uh, it's 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 a staple in folk horror for a reason because it's diving into the pagan beliefs, you know, and I think that's just really interesting to to be able to look at and see. So yeah, it's enough about me talking about the Wicker Man, I guess. Needless to say, I believe this is a really great horror film. It's not your typical horror film, but I love the music in it. I think it's really great. I think the story is really unsettling and freaky if you watch it. Um, and I highly recommend it. As I stated earlier, I watched the final cut, which is on Blu-ray. Um, so you can obtain that off Amazon or wherever you like to get your ble- you know, Blu-rays and DVDs and things like that. You can probably find it somewhere. Um, if you do stream it anywhere, more than likely you're going to be streaming the theatrical cut, which is a little bit different than what I just explained. Um, but generally same kind of story. There's just some scenes that are missing, um, you know, that aren't in the theatrical cut, but, you know, I think gently Johnny is cut out. I think the Christopher Lee bringing the young boy is cut out stuff like that. The beginning is cut out because the beginning of the theatrical cut actually starts off with, uh, how he just flying to the island it doesn't start out with the congregation and all that uh you see that later in the film in the theatrical cut but anyway but yeah i would stream this maybe if you want to as well um it was on shutter a couple times i've seen um i think it might have even been on prime video before but right now i I think you can only really stream it if you were to like rent it or something or you go get the final cut on blu-ray I, I definitely recommend this movie uh, in particular. Um, I think you have to watch it at least once if you're a horror fan to just kind of see what you're getting into. I missed if I did not talk about the absolutely comedic remake of this movie in 2006 starring, you know, Nicolas Cage. Um, I will just say I'm not going to talk about it, and that's all I'll say about that. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so by emailing cultcinemacircle at gmail.com. If you want to give any movie recommendations, give feedback on the show, or if you just want to say, hey, girl, hey, I'm open to all of it. You can also follow Cult Cinema Circle on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Instagram handle is Cult Cinema Circle. Twitter handle is Cult Cine Circle. On those platforms, I tend to post when new episodes release. I'll post what the next episode is going to be. Uh, I make Instagram stories with a little fun facts and all that, and just general fun stuff over there. And on Letterboxd, you can find me at Jesse, J E S S E, Kremp, K R E M P, all one word. On there, I tend to log the movies that I've been watching, I write little reviews about them, and just general foolishness over there. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on your podcatcher of choice. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Audible, or wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcasts. I make it pretty easy for you to find the show. Be sure to leave five stars and a one to two sentence review. Um, It helps get people to see the show more, and it helps more people find the show in general. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. And remember, it's much too dangerous to jump through the fire with your clothes on. Take care. Bye.